You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number 31 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is John Lavery. John is the Canada U19 forwards coach and has had numerous roles in both men's and women's rugby, uh, whether it be high school or university and senior club or age grade national and senior women. Lav's made some great contributions to the game over the past 10 years. We've coached a bunch together in that time as well, and he's a good mate of mine, so it's awesome to have him on the show. So welcome, Lav. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, yeah, so uh, let let us let us know what's happened over the last kind of you know ten years and coaching experience and you know what what's what's kind of keep kept driving you doing what you're doing. I think uh, I think what a lot of guys that coach around where we are, it's it's kind of like you just enjoy that build process, you know. Like mm. most guys that that start in the club scene here, like. Um, you, you kind of get roped into it because no one else wanted to do it. Yep. <laughs> and, you, and you just kind of like learn to love it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So uh, started with uh, with St. Anne's because there was no other coach around. And then when someone took over um, the job, they just kind of stuck me with the forwards coaching gig and uh, no one else really wanted to do it. And I've always kind of had a pretty inexperienced crew of players to work with. Yeah. And um, so you, you kind of get to do your own thing in that context and you get to make lots of mistakes and you, you learn a lot. Yeah. Um, and I've been really lucky. Like I've been working with and for guys that, you know, they, they let me stay in my comfort zone when it was appropriate. Um, and just let me do what I was strong at and they kind of took care of the rest. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I've got the opportunity in the last couple of years to work with some guys that don't let you do that like uh, Andy LaRue and Matt Stevens and and yourself where like you, you kind of have to have input with everything. You know what I mean? And uh, you kind of push your knowledge of the game and put your expertise in, in context. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like how, how have you, like you've been, you've been head coach, you've been forwards coach, you've been, you know, even skills coach at times. What, what, what do you feel is your, where do you enjoy your, your, your coaching the most? I, I think that's the other beautiful thing about the experience I've had the last few years is uh, you get to learn and you get to love the challenge of understanding all aspects of it. Because any uh, any piece of the game that you're learning, is it only really exists in the context of the whole sport. Yeah. So what I've kind of taken away is that, you know, I, I'm a scrum coach pretty much like by, by trade, but um, when you get exposed to stuff like different philosophies of defense mm. it's super stimulating and you, you just come away with more questions than, than answers mm-hmm. and so you, you kind of you know start breaking it down yourself and just learning to enjoy like the fact that you don't really know anything mm. you're kind of like you know embracing that challenge and, and just trying to do do what you're doing better all the time in your own context yeah exactly and yeah and what you what you know now 
may not mean anything in a couple of years' time either. It's gonna it's gonna well, be irrelevant people, almost. That wouldn't it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like five years ago, the hit was was king. Yeah. And then uh, the rugby gods took that out of the game, and so the scrum coaches around the world like were at a pretty rapid scramble to to find what, to work what out how to coach wrestling. <laughs> yeah, you know, like yeah. so. Um, the, the the game changes as, as fast as uh, as anything else. So it's unbelievable. So you've um, you touched on there that you're you're you know you're a scrum coach. Uh, that's your that's your priority first, and then uh, everything kind of fits in around that. When you're doing a lot of age grade stuff, a lot of listeners are probably doing you know similar like U eighteen uh, kind of age group. Um, when when you've got a young group of guys or a young group of girls, and it's your first session with them and it's a scrum session what what what's that kind of look like i think uh the, the most important thing for for that kind of stuff with with young players and same as anything else in the game it's got to be really fun yeah. it's got to be engaging yeah. uh so we start with a lot of fun combatives and stuff and just get kids like kind of tuned in um and then the next kind of piece would be doing some activation exercises for the stabilization muscles, like particularly around the spine. So, you know, like just so I don't forget stuff in, in the warm up process, I kind of just start head down, mm-hmm. you know, start at the top, work with the neck, then the upper back, then the core, then do some leg stuff. And then we break into body position work. Cause it, um, I think one of the challenges is, is nothing really works right if you don't get the body position first, mm. and if you don't do that activation stuff first, they're not able to maintain a neutral spine and a good pushing position, which is really the key of any scrum. Because if you don't have a good spine position and everything isn't in line, any force you generate kind of goes wherever the head's pointing. And if it's not pointing in the right direction, you're not really getting what you want out of it. Mm. So what what's some of the things you might do with those, with those activation stuff, like some wrestling kind of type moves and... Well, we kind of even kind of break it down even lower than that. So we do a lot of static holds. Yeah. So uh, isometric strength. Like, that kind yeah, of stuff, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's re- the isometric stuff from the head down to the waist is is pretty much the foundation of your ability to transmit force. And it's a it's a step that a lot of people will skip just because of time. Mm. Uh, but I think it's pretty vital. Um, and another key for me is that. I, I have to understand that you're never going to fix or, or develop a really powerful scrum in a single session. It's mm-hmm. really a process of a season where you, you start with that foundational work and then you build from there, but you can only really go as far as, as where the athletes are at. Yeah. So well, that's, that kind of leads me to my next question. Like once you've had that first session and you know, every team's going to be different, every group of athletes going to be different. What, where do you go from there? Like, uh, are you are you slowly building into kind of, you know, like a, a one-on-one scrummaging, two-on-one scrummaging, three-on-one yes. kind of stuff? And then, like, where, where what's it look like from there? So, you know, the th- those initial sessions are always going to finish with a little bit of one-on-one or 1v2 scrummaging. Mm-hmm. I like to do the 1v2 where you have two players resisting and, like, you know, 60 70% intensity against one pusher. Mm-hmm. Pusher's challenge is to maintain good body position and good push technique. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, like really it's like sinking chest to the ground, extending through off both feet, and then just claiming the ground forward with with, with short, choppy steps. Um, 
but then where that where that builds to is I like to focus on the linear bind first. So developing connection between the person who's actually engaged in the combat in the front row and the player immediately behind them. Um, and I've stolen some some terminology that I've actually found pretty effective is is developing the, the philosophy of we're all consenting adults. Yeah. And that we are we recognize when you're scrummaging that like it is only semi-competitive and the two players resisting a pusher and a tandem like a player behind that they're really just working to help the the two players that are in the pushing roles develop their skills so they're only resisting at that level and so they build a bit of confidence mm -hmm. and when they're confident then they can develop aggression whereas if it's if it's just kind of testosterone can take over and uh you get guys kind of going at each other like you know a couple of bulls in the pen mm. and no one's really learning so if we can dial that back and get get that right first yeah uh, it can you can build the intensity over over a few weeks where guys can really have a go at each other and it's still going to be productive but it can't start at that level of intensity mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah yeah totally yeah awesome okay and then so once you you've you've built that scrum up you've uh you you you're into kind of coaching mode now during games and uh from game to game to game how 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 do you go about like making adjustments during games at halftime or even like evaluating a session, uh, like a, a performance and then adapting that to the next session? Well, the, the beautiful thing about like the way the scrum is now in terms of like the laws of the game and, and the, the set as opposed to the hit um, is that the body position becomes such a critical element of the game and it's much easier to teach when you don't have to manage that hit. Mm. Um, so a guy that's under pressure, he's really going to want to, he's only going to be able to take away one thing, right? And he's going to latch onto that one thing. And usually the guy that we'd be talking about would be the tight head. He's probably arguably under the most pressure mm -hmm. of anybody in the scrum. It, it's a pretty good barometer for where your scrum is at and how it's going. Um, is if, if the tight head is able to maintain a square position and you're able to generate quality ball. Um, so a guy that, that needs to focus on one thing from you, you're going to give him a couple of key things you talked about at practice, but nine times out of 10, um, you're not going to fix that in the game context. Mm -hmm. well, I experienced a huge amount of success with that. Well, it would be a thing where you, you get him through that game and just kind of keep his confidence up as much as you can. But when you come away uh, to Tuesday after, after a tough one, um, we might isolate that one area of, of the scrum that was giving us a bit of trouble. Like whether, and really, if you wanted to break it down, it would be like into the setup, either it was on the set or it was on the feet of the ball mm. where something broke down. And our key is, and again, like most guys are going to be listening to this cast, you know, like you get, you know, maybe one scrum session a week if you're lucky, you know, and yeah. it's 20 minutes. You got to be really efficient with your time. If that, so, if, you, if your head coaches are back, you, you're maybe yeah. not even getting that. <laughs> exactly. So you got to use like like opportunities like in the cool down or pre-session or after sessions um, uh, to, to to find that first domino where things went wrong. Because mm. what's going to happen is a guy that's under pressure is going to like dip in confidence and it's just going to carry over to the rest of the game. He's not going to play well. He's not going to enjoy his rugby. So what we got to do is find that first thing that went wrong and we got to concentrate on that and help him get it right or her get it right. 
Mm-hmm. And once you've got that, you can kind of build from there. You know, like as long as the the athletes got a like a clear sense of what they need to do differently or what they need to do better, and they have opportunities to do it, and the more real time feedback they can get through either like just the success of executing reps, or uh, or the use of regular video, mm. uh, that's empowering. That on its own will will keep a guy feeling like he's getting better and he'll have clear evidence and like key indicators that he's getting better yeah Um, and that confidence carries over into like the challenge of like going into the next game where you know if you're playing any any standard any quality like every game is tough Um, and so you got you got to really feel like you're in control of your own fate so, so in that, like, what I'm getting out of that is like the, the importance of a common language is 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 right up there, right? Like the those those three areas of the scrum that you were talking about earlier. That if you have those those key pointers that you can just drip feed to them and then recall them, that's got to be pretty key. Exactly. I mean, like most guys that work in, in the forwards, um, they'll they'll tell you that the, whatever you're doing, as long as everyone has a common understanding of of what you're trying to achieve and how you're trying to achieve it. You can't go too far wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's three or four pretty common scrum setup and, and set methods that are going around in profession in the professional game. They're, they're, they are significantly different one to another. And n- none of them is right or none of them is wrong. And I think that that's a, that's a common area of agreement. There's like, they're just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just making sure that your guys have a consistent, um, a consistent set of, uh, of guidelines for how they go about doing what they're doing. So their their setup process, their engagement process, and how they're delivering the ball to the rest of the team at the conclusion of the scrum. So that we we have a high success rate of getting the ball in and getting the ball out in the way that we want it to. Okay, so. Um... You um you you're currently the U19 uh, scrum coach for Canada. Last year, you were the U18 scrum coach for Canada, and that's that's rolled into your current role. Um, you toured Ireland uh, last year. What what were some of the experiences there, especially like in terms of the scrum, um, going up against uh, the three the three main provincial Irish academies, and how the boys perform? And you know, what did you learn as a coach in, from those experiences? Uh, I, I felt the boys actually matched up extremely well physically. Mm. Um, the the players in that particular group, <coughs> there there's some pretty big strong units, um, and they really enjoy the physical challenge. Yeah, I think they were even a bit surprised with how well they matched up against their Irish counterparts. Like the first game against Munster was a big test. We got on we got on top of them early, and uh, I think that. At times it was even a bit frustrating because we we were kind of told in no uncertain terms that like you're not going to be rewarded for scrum dominance in, in under 18s rugby, mm. so you might as well just give it up. But the boys didn't. Yeah, uh, awesome. uh, but I I think that uh, what the kids took out of that was that they they can go toe to toe with anybody, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't they don't really have to worry about that as long as as long as they go they go as eight and they. Uh, they, they take that confidence of good, from good preparation. If they are prepared, they're going to be successful. That psychological piece is massive, right? It was huge. And and having a back five that were genuinely engaged, you know what I mean? Like, mm. you don't always find back rows that love to scrum. <laughs> but um, the back five in that group just love to dominate 
at whatever they did. You know what I mean? If they were playing ping pong, that would that would get pretty competitive. Like you know, darts, <laughs> everything they did. Um, and so th- those guys want to contribute. They want to win. They want to compete uh, as best they can. And um, and if you have a strong back five and a committed back five and, and guys that really genuinely love to scrummage, mm. like I said, like if, if you make it fun, if you make it engaging, um, it only makes it better. You know what I mean? If it's enjoyable, you do it better. So it's like no other any other part of the sport. All right. So moving moving on to coaches out, out there in um, clubland and schoolland and kind of stuff like that, who are, it might be a one person show. Uh, what would your advice be to those coaches who who they have to coach the scrum, but it, it's not really an area of their expertise? I think uh, the most the most important thing, and probably the first thing you'd like for for someone in that situation, is develop a little bit of like empathy for the for the job. Mm-hmm. So just try practicing it a bit. Yeah. Uh, like watch some of those videos. I mean, there's a ton of good content on YouTube. Yeah. Some of it you can even do solo. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can just do some individual body position work and stuff and sort of get a sense of what that feels like and what the demands are. Um, and, and then just kind of understand that there really are no dark arts. Like I, I hate that term. And I mean, sure there, there, there's small things you can do and stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, like if your body position isn't right first, nothing else even really matters. Um, so if you're working with young players or you haven't done it a whole lot yourself, really the, the key is just if you get that right, you can't go too far wrong. Mm. Um, the next thing is to use players' expertise. I mean, guys that have done it a lot have a fair bank of experience and uh, by and large, I mean, they don't even know what they know mm. until they start telling you about it. And Lord knows props love to talk about scrummaging. So, <laughs> um you know, like the more questions you ask, the, the better the, the nuggets you're going to get out of them are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can kind of pass those on yourself, you know. Yeah, and that's that's pretty empowering to the players as well. Like it leads down that uh, athlete-centered coaching kind of route as well. Exactly, you know. And the the other the other small thing would be, uh, you know, just sort of work it from like a problem-solving perspective. Like, what are you trying to achieve in this particular scrum? Um so what is inhibiting you from achieving that outcome? Um, and then you kind of work backwards from there and try to find some solutions that are going like, to lead you to that place. Mm. Yeah, like stu- stuff like what you, you, the Canadian senior men at the, the Rugby World Cup, you know, they, they, they took a, a tool out of, the, out of the, like the old school toolbox and they used a channel one ball where they had the, the eight, binding between uh the the four and the the open side flanker mm. so the ball is in and out super super quick mm. i mean it, it's a quick fix simple solution to a complex problem of like you know teams having gargantuan loose heads and you know we don't have a huge number of guys that have a lot of tight head experience or like that kind of like quality that can handle those those opponents um you, you can kind of like extrapolate from that particular scenario to a thousand things that you would meet in a in a regular like club environment we just got to problem solve you know yeah yeah and involve the players in it for sure all right so the the eternal debate in the scrum world uh live scrummaging versus uh just smashing into a machine uh where do you where do you stand on that one um so i i would rarely use a machine and 
in my context where like again you have that that one or two scrum sessions uh, mm. when you're lucky yeah um i don't think it's the best use of your time yeah and uh, i i've rarely been in an environment where it was um and uh, i haven't found that it's like when i've worked in, in a couple of international contexts like in in ireland we didn't touch one yeah and we had loads of time and there was one there all the time uh and when i was in england with the senior women that that actually kind of worried me and stuff where we wouldn't get, we didn't have a huge playing group on that tour mm-hmm. so uh didn't get a lot of opportunities to go like full monty with that group yeah but 90 percent of our work i would say would have revolved around that uh, that body position work first, mm. linear bind second, lateral bind third, and then the collective. I think before our first test, we only had three genuinely live reps, and then it was cold out, so we just got the girls back inside, and they were just fine. So uh, I really, really strongly feel that the machine, I mean, I'm sure it's got its place and stuff, but um, in, in, a, in, a, in a typical club environment, how much value you get out of it versus developing body awareness when you have multi-directional forces and stuff and you have to support your own body weight. Mm. That's probably a better use of your time. And I think it's probably going to be a more enjoyable experience for the players because they get to genuinely compete against someone yeah. else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'd be more dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, so it'd be, it's like the equivalent of throwing a rugby ball at a tire. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not the same thing as throwing a pass, is it? Yeah, you know? yeah get your scrum half doing that for 30 minutes. It'd be awesome. I'm not, yeah, that'll transfer nicely. And I'm sure he's going to say thank you. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, um, so um, outside outside of scrummaging, um, what what's your favourite area of the game to coach? I'm sure that's pretty uh, that that changes regularly, but uh, right now, what's your what's your favourite area of the game to coach outside of the scrum? Um, so one of the areas of of the game where Again, like you, you kind of get exposed to some some new stuff and like working with Andrew Monroe with the 18s last year and with uh, the senior women they're they're trying to implement uh line speed defense mm-hmm. which is which is much more aggressive and puts a lot more pressure on defenders to take width yeah and kind of own channels and defense as opposed and really focus on the ball as opposed to like really focusing on the shape of, of what the attack is trying to do yeah yeah um that's been absolutely fascinating like mm-hmm. yeah you know, I, I, in my experience, I mean, like I've only really had to play in like an inside shoulder, like push defense and stuff. And, um, just working from a completely different standpoint, like a totally different point of departure with what your main roles and concerns are as a player in the defensive line Mm. that it's been really fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a, it's like a new logic puzzle where you, you know, break it down to the, the essential bits and parts where you're not working with side on collision so much more front on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like just that learning process has been like super enjoyable. Yeah. I think, I think there's some, there's some great stuff out there. Like just watching today's games, um, Wales, Australia, um, all blacks Island, just the variations in defense. Uh, yeah. Like it's just another aspect of the game. I think naturally we tend to gravitate towards attack because you know, it's it's exciting and it's, you know, it's that's where the rugby ball is. So that's kind of where you, you tend to be drawn to. But there's a whole, whole another game being played uh, in defense and there's some, there's some great stuff out there right now. Exactly. And I never really spent a whole lot of time thinking about it, you know, like it's kind of get up and smash them. You're a prop. It's, yeah. 
<laughs> that, that's what my kind of scope of experience was. Yeah. And then um, working with some some pretty like creatively inclined people, where they're they're just looking trying to look at things in a different way and kind of push the boundaries of what's what's possible. I mean, that's that's just a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, when when you're coaching a session, what's uh, if someone was to come along and uh, watch a session that you coach, what what's some of the things they're gonna they're gonna see and and hear during during something that you run? Well, I think uh, typically I'm a pretty uh, up tempo kind of a guy. I got a lot of energy, so mm. I try to sort of let that sort of drive drive my ship. Because try to make it as enjoyable as possibly can for the players. Um, Lots of touches of the ball, very game heavy. Um, usually try not to bite off too much in in one go. Kind of try to isolate an element of, of a skill that we're trying to correct or develop and yeah. kind of really, really target that and get that one thing right. Um, so like in the context of the scrum, that, that might be just like a, like a really fun kind of like combative game sort of like warm up and stuff. Then we'd start with some individual work, but then we'd like, you got to get right down to the brass tacks because if the head coach only gave you 20 minutes, that's all you got. Mm. So, um, you know, we might work through our, our setup process and kind of like build in terms of how much resistance our attacking or defending scrum, whichever we're targeting that particular session, uh, would be how much resistance they'd be facing. So just start at like 50%, let the players get confident and comfortable and then kind of just gradually turn up the heat in the frying pan and see what shakes loose. A lot, cool. a lot, like try to use a lot of like real-time video feedback, like no no fancy apps or anything, but like just, I, you know, either use my phone or an iPad or something like that. So like give them a quick look at it, let them have a go, repeat that process until the time's up. Mm. Yeah, sweet. All right. Awesome. And uh, last, last one before we, we wrap it up, like coaches out there who are looking for some scrummaging resources, um, what are some of the ones that you kind of rely on or you call on that you, you think are pretty pretty spot on and reliable? It's a couple of things. Um, so the the micron body position and uh, body awareness stuff, like the activation material that they put online, the, the uh, New Zealand Rugby Union made a the coach's toolbox that, yeah, yeah, I don't think you can access it uh, from outside New Zealand anymore, but it's all on YouTube now anyways. But all of that stuff is absolute gold. Um, guys find it engaging. It's fun. And uh, the language used in it seems to be super clear. Um, and clarity in communication when you're talking about combat is, is, is a big deal when people's safety is on the line. Yeah. So um, I, I've, I found that super useful. Um, less about communication, more about body position, but the Argentina rugby union also have a lot of resources on YouTube that are, that are pretty good. Again, they're, they're very different. Yeah. Well, they kind of, uh, they kind of know what they're doing too in the scrum. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people, it's just like a lot of like chop and change, like this, these people are trying this, let's have a go at it, see what's going on. Um, and the, the last piece would be, there's a lot of good stuff out there on YouTube, but um, just as a caveat, if, if the body position of the players in, in the footage isn't right, I'd say the content probably isn't very good. Mm. A good barometer of what's safe and what's good is if everybody in that video clip looks like they're in a safe body position, that's probably pretty, that's probably sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
but there's a lot of material out there where you see a lot of kind of folded up body positions and a lot of flex necks. And uh, if that's not being corrected, um, I'd say just kind of buyer beware. Yeah, move on. Yeah. All right. Just, just watching a lot of rugby, man. Like uh, just you know watching successful scrums. You know, mm. like is it that's leading this team to to have a high completion rate? Why are they able to deliver the ball so well? Because um, like I said, the, there's teams that they're using different methods and stuff, and you can you can take a lot from just watching how teams do stuff. Yeah. And, uh, if you wanted to, like a, a good contrast is like in New Zealand, they had two or three methods going on at the same time in different Super 15 franchises. Yeah. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, they just picked the best one or the one that had the highest completion rate, and that's what the All Blacks ran with. Right. That's, that's um, pretty pragmatic. It is, yeah. and, and uh, in terms of like major change, Munster in the last three years have, have been actually been pretty, pretty average at scrum time, but in the last twelve months seem to have made some small adjustments, um, and they're getting great quality ball and they're quite dominant. And uh, they just having a look at what they were doing before and having a look at what they're doing now and seeing what those differences are for yourself, there, there's value in that. You learn an awful lot. Yeah, cool, awesome. All right, well, we always end the show with uh, the same final four questions. Uh, when you were a kid growing up uh, in Canada, who was, uh, who was kind of your first uh, rugby player that you thought was, uh, was pretty, pretty special and someone that you, you looked up to and admired? Well, there were, there were some front rowers going around back then. Because like, actually, believe it or not, there used to be way more rugby on TV back then. That's um, amazing. It would be on TSN and stuff. Yeah. Or, so... There was Laurent Benezet from France, who's a loose head prop. Yeah. It's, it's like way ahead of his times, really, really dynamic. Typical French player, lots, lots of flair, lots of, lots of popping up around the loose, mm. getting stuff done. Now, obviously, the All Blacks front row of that 95 team with uh, Olo Brown and Craig Dowd were, mm. were pretty impressive. That, that was really my first exposure to rugby was that World Cup. Yeah, right. Pretty, pretty special time to, to be watching rugby for the yeah, first time. Yeah, for sure. And in the Canadian context, the the big three would be like Al Sharon. Of course. Like I remember reading in the paper about how we scored the the winning try in Cardiff the first season I was like ever playing the game. Mm. Um, Gareth Reese was an absolute legend in his time. Yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had a test in Vermont. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah. So we we all went down there. I was like all like nineteen or twenty, and. Um, he took a ball off a lineout and just didn't even look like passing the ball and just ran clear over the American 10 and like scampered for a 50 yard touchdown. <laughs> it was just bananas. Mm. Um, and of course, Rod Snow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, big hero uh, growing up and watching him play. And then I had that the misfortune of having to play against him an awful lot. Yeah, for sure. I was in, I played in that game too. And, uh, I just yeah. got to see him when he hung out on the wing. Uh, you got the scrummage against him. Uh, so, uh, it was, uh, our experiences were slightly different, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. And what about now? Who's uh, who's some of your favorite players going around now? Um, it's a good time to just be a fan of the game, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty like, awesome. Uh, yeah. Lots of guys out there doing some really, really good stuff. Having arguments with people about Dane Coles. Like... Is that guy the best player in world rugby right now? I don't know. He's got yeah, close. <laughs> he, he's not far off. Yeah, yeah. He's not there. Yeah. And 
Yeah. I mean, just like every test match has entertainment value nowadays. Uh, so realize. it's really tough to single anybody out. Yeah. Okay. And what about, what about coaches? Um, who's a high profile coach that you, you look up to and like what they're doing? I'll tell you, um, listening to Ronan O'Gara over the last year or two, mm. since he's jumped on with, with Rassing, I mean, the guys had to coach Johnny Sexton and then Dan Carter, yeah. like, the guy who basically usurped his job and then mm. the best 10 in the world. Mm. Like, you got to be thinking like, oh, man, I can't win for losing here. Yeah. yeah. But um, he's just got a tremendous amount of humility and just the way he talks about, you know, like learning, learning it as a trade mm. as opposed to like just kind of trading on his reputation as a player. Yeah. And you got to really admire that. There's a certain level of humility in the way that he talks about what his role is now that you just don't hear all that much. No. Like, it's pretty cool. No, I agree. Yeah. I've mentioned the podcast often here, Off the Ball, the, the Irish rugby podcast. Um, you hear him come on every now and then. I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's total humility and, you know, not resting on his laurels and uh, constantly learning. It's pretty yeah, That's impressive. Yeah, that's yeah absolutely. Cool. All right, and final question before we wrap it up: uh, Who's a who's a local coach around your area that you that you feel deserves a shout out for for the work they're doing? Well, I gotta say that uh, Marcial Laguay and uh, Kevin Kinu, what they did with the Quebec senior women this summer was pretty special. Yeah, in the CRCs without a lot of their big guns in the mix, and just did a really good job of developing some of those young girls and kind of helped them get to a really good place. Um. And that tournament was tough. I mean, they lost their first game against BC, and uh, but managed to like claw back and then beat a pretty star-studded Ontario team and and a pretty gigantic Wolfpack team. Mm-hmm. Get it done. Um, and I'm a pretty big fan of builders, as you and I kind of can sympathize with what they what they do and what they yeah. go through. Yeah, yeah. Corey Hector out in Guelph, you know, you know, started his own club and now it's quite successful. And he's a head coach of a very successful university program, the University of Guelph. Yeah, for sure. And then our boy Johnny Weller over at the uh, University of Western Ontario, our former manager. Yeah, yeah definitely making a name for himself in the coaching world. Yeah, they're doing some good, good stuff. Uh, got coach of the year, I think, for for university. Uh... Well, uh, big big shoes to fill. Eh? I mean, like uh, Natasha Wesh is a is a coaching legend in in that part of the world and. Stepping in to sort of fill her fill her role, uh, and having to kind of put his own stamp on it, mm. uh, and working with some really quality people, you know, like he's uh, I think he's working with Tom Dozell and uh, Derek Daypuck out there, yeah, and one of the Pletch Boys as well, I think too. Yeah, yeah. I think it, that's uh, that's a challenging environment for for someone who hasn't worked a huge amount with uh, in that environment before. Yeah, so um, I mean, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And, uh, you know, apart from, you know, his uh, country of origin, uh, total respect for him. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that, that's just an inside joke that only Weller will be able to get and no other listeners will understand. <coughs> All right. Okay, mate. Well, uh, it's been good to good to catch up and uh, glad to finally get you on the show. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday night to uh, come and have a chat. Absolutely, this has been a blast. Yeah, awesome. All right, mate. We'll uh, we'll catch you later. All right, cheers. All right, cheers, lads. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. 
you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.